Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers, where we have all of the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. If you're a fan of the show and want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to the Free Your Inner Guru Patreon page. Your subscription includes access to our discourse community, live monthly Zooms, and some pretty cool merchandise. Your Patreon subscription helps keep the show going free of ads and supports me as an independent researcher and creator, for which I am very grateful. I'd love it if you would take a moment to go to patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru and subscribe to support the show. Welcome to episode 92. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart. It's an episode with Jarette Bouglion and Lisa, two of the founders of the movement hashtag I got out. I Got Out is a hashtag website and movement to make abuses of power unacceptable in all kinds of groups, and not just cults. The organizers of hashtag I Got Out believe now is the time for survivors of cult dynamics to share their stories with unflinching honesty. Jarette and Lisa join me to share the story of how hashtag I Got Out was formed, characteristics of cult dynamics, especially in today's society, and how survivors can find support from a consortium of cult survivors at igotout.org. Jurette Bouglion has a BA in elementary and special education. She is the author of An Everyday Cult. She says she earned her master's degree in cult awareness from the School of Life. Jurette co-manages operations and communications of igotout.org. She is a spokeswoman and activist for the movement and hosts Writing to Reckon, an online workshop where survivors of cultic abuse write their I Got Out statement. Lisa owns, designs, and manages the igotout.org website intended to support the hashtag I Got Out movement. She is the main point of contact on the I Got Out platforms. By sharing their stories, survivors of cultic abuse can raise awareness of undue influence and coercive control. The goal is to change the cultural acceptance of abuse of power in all kinds of groups. Everyone involved in hashtag I got out believes every story matters and the ripple effect of speaking up makes a difference. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Lisa and Jarette. I am so excited to have you here to be able to learn about the organization that you have come together to form called I Got Out, as well as to get into your individual stories and and what brought you to this important work, knowing that we've already decided you're each going to come back for an, an individual episode. Yay! more time to talk about all of these things as people are getting out and becoming more willing to talk about their experiences in unhealthy relationships, cult dynamics, and cults themselves. So I think the best way to do this is let's dive into a little bit of your individual story framed up in what the impetus was to to get involved or start I Got Out. Lisa, may I ask you to begin and then we'll bring Jarette in. Super. Laura, I just have to say, after listening to your most recent conversations, I am so excited to talk to you because the conversations that you're having with people right now, they're so raw, so authentic. 
and truly exploring this landscape that we're in right now. And I really appreciate the authenticity that you're bringing to the table and providing this platform for this conversation. Thank you. For sure. What kicked me into doing this, the trigger was watching The Vow. I knew nothing about it. A former member of my group just, and, and he's not an activist at all. He's just happy that he's out and doing his own thing. But he was like, yeah, you might want to check out this show. And once I started watching, it was like watching my life unfold in front of me. And when I got to episode five, which I believe is when they revealed the branding situation, I was pretty upset with the whole thing. And I Googled sadism in cult leaders. And that Google led me to an article on Elsevier. It's an academic journal that spoke about coercive control. The, it, it's was specifically about a case with a guy who was running a group in Jerusalem. Is that the word? Hasidic. Um, Hasidic. <laughs> Hadistic. <laughs> yeah. So you might have just made a new word. <laughs> I know. I read that. And I think looking at the timestamps on my first email to Sarah, I think I found that article mid-September and then reached out to her on the 27th. So right in this zone right now is when I was getting my first idea of what I wanted to do because that whole situation plus everything that's happened through the pandemic, that, that pressure cooker of division with the election, all of this, we all have experienced just like a complete paradigm shift in how we all function in the world. And then I have my own relationship with my daughter that was challenged because she fell on the other side of the, the mask mandate and social distancing, and we had a falling out. So all of this stuff built up and led to my ignition to get something done that can change things. And that's where I was with, I got out this time last year, and then through the conversations that ensued with Sarah, and bless her heart, I was just dumping through her, through email, all of my ideas. And she was very encouraging. She kept like nurturing what was going on inside of me enough that when I saw Steve Hassan's use of hashtag I got out after I had already bought the domain and was thinking about this idea of what I got out could be. And then also already thinking of this hashtag idea, I see him using the hashtag. And I was going to ask Sarah for an introduction. This is about three weeks after I've started talking with her. October 21st, to be accurate. Right, <laughs> to be accurate. October 21st, after seeing him use the hashtag, I called his office. I was like, I'm not waiting for an intro from Sarah. 
just call him and see what's there. And I talked to his assistant, Jane, told her everything that I had going on, that I had bought the domain, that I was had this vision of what I wanted to create with it. And Jane said, write everything down that you just said in an email, because he's meeting with a couple people today in a couple hours to talk about this hashtag idea. Wow. So I did that, wrote the email, didn't think much of it, went and made lunch, sat down to lunch and saw a note from, from Steve inviting me to this Zoom call with that lady right there. Jarette. Oh, isn't that, talk about serendipity. Serendipity is the word. So just for background, The Vow is a documentary series about the experience of the members and leaders of the cult Nexium. It has been brought up several times on this podcast in the last, say, 10 episodes or more at this point, ever since I made the pivot towards what used to be a very difficult subject area for me. And uh, we can get into that once we go around. But And Sarah is Sarah Edmondson, who is one of a number of Nexium survivors, but she and her husband, Nippy, are in the group, ultimately have the leader, Keith Rainieri, arrested and, and sentenced and other leaders in their organization. This is not a podcast episode about Nexium or about the vow, but I do think it's important because it has sparked. And when we come back around, I might share what it sparked for me, because I think this is a characteristic of survivors of these dynamics. When Steve Hassan is a cult expert, there are things that happen when you start to see it in other people. But before we do all that, Jurette, please take us back to what led to that meeting where the two of you met so serendipitously. Let's go back in time a little bit to the fact that I after I got out of the group that I was a part of for 18 years, I had a real passion for understanding power dynamics. So I started really studying the power dynamics and cult dynamics. And when I witnessed the Me Too movement roll out, I all I could think about was me too, just slightly different, because most of the time we're talking about individual relationships where there's a violation of power. But I had emerged from a group setting where I had experienced manipulation through abuse of power. Witnessing Me Too roll out and impact people, witnessing my Facebook page and my friends who were saying Me Too, I felt like there was something that I needed to say, but it wasn't for me. So I wanted at that point, and I nurtured this for several years, that we needed, we cult survivors, those of us who have experienced, emerged from groups of whether spiritual abuse or cultic abuse or any kind of a group, even a family setting can be cultic, where there's this power over hierarchical structure that is stripping people of their autonomy. 
And so I lamely, about a year and a half before last year, so two and a half years ago, I had been meeting with my friends. I call them my cult buddies. One of them is Mark Laxer, who is a founding collaborator of I Got Out. So I was with my cult buddies and I'm like, you guys, I've got to do it. I've got to just start this thing. And so we tossed around a bunch of different ideas for hashtags And I lamely put a few of them out there and nothing happened. So, oh, I guess I'll let go of that idea. And then in mid-October of last year, I attended a panel discussion where Steve Hassan was presenting. And at the end of that panel discussion, it, it was the American Dignity Pact panel discussion. And... They were, it was about a documentary about people who were leaving what they were calling the cult of Trump. Mm. And Dr. Steve Hassan, of course, has written the book, The Cult of Trump. So that's why he was on this panel discussion. And at the end of this very engaging, dynamic discussion, I just put in the chat, it was a Zoom, I just put in the chat my vision of starting a hashtag movement for cult survivors. And in the last minute of the panel discussion, the moderator of the panel said, oh, we have a few comments and I just want to read this one. It was the only one that was read. And so she read my idea and Steve Hassan jumped out of his chair and said, yes, we have to do this. And I was like, okay, if a leading cult expert is that excited about it, we're going for it. So I reached out to him with my buddy, Mark Laxer, knows Steve. So I was like, Mark, we've got to do this. Connect me, now's the time. And within 48 hours, we had emailed a bunch of ideas of different hashtags. Some of my silly ones were like hashtag hoodwinked and I'm not even going to tell you the other ones, but when one person in our email stream put out hashtag I got out, it was like you could feel the electricity go through the email stream. That's it. Yeah. Steve, at that very day, started using it. Lisa saw his first post. And we were scheduled for our meeting on that day. And he said, after we were talking for 20 minutes or half hour, he said, hey, my assistant said we got an email from somebody. Let me pull this up. And he read the email that Lisa sent, which was eloquent to the point. I'm like, I need to meet this woman. And he said, let's pull her on. And within five minutes, we were on the Zoom together. This is so exciting for me to hear because one of the things that as I've been meandering and stumbling along my journey these past several years, it's been relatively isolating, Um, isolating in only the way that someone who's been involved in something so weird that it could be called a cult gets isolated from their friends and family because they don't understand it. I'm coming to understand just how unique an isolation that is. And yet it's something that I believe that we all share. And somehow, whether it's a drive for survival or my relentless persistence to 
try to be well after the Sedona Sweat Lodge. I, without very much guidance or expertise in my life, managed to back my way into a self-created cult recovery program without realizing it. I say that having just come out of a couple of conversations that are recorded and not released on, on the podcast yet, but as the, the people who are like ac- more expert in these fields are describing what you need to do, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I did. And then what I ended up adapting my coaching philosophy. And I'm uncomfortable talking about it in this way because of my more recent perspective on staying in my lane, but it was what I, it was healthy practices Mm -hmm. to be able to function thinking that I was dealing with um, a tendency towards depression, Mm -hmm. maybe some trauma, but the more I dive into this, I was like, on one hand, thank goodness I had the wherewithal. And on the other hand, how much faster might I have moved through this experience had I been in conversation with all of these people five, 10 years ago? And that's exactly, I'm so excited to hear you say that, Laura. And bravo for you for having the self-knowledge and the capacity to find your way through. And the truth is, we don't have to suffer that long. Like one of one of my passions is to actually reach out into the population of people who were part of cults decades ago, you know, who were in the 70s and during the Jesus era or hooked up with Rajneesh or the Moonies and had a few years being really involved in something and then had some kind of self-awareness, left it and got out, but have been living for decades not really understanding what they went through, not really having a place where it's okay to say, I got out of a really bad situation and I want to understand it now. Like the time has come. I feel like the way that we have witnessed power imbalance taking place globally in governments, particularly in the last, I don't, it's hard to say, I'm not a history buff, but it seems to me from my lived experience of 59 years, there's more intense power dynamics happening today in the last five, 10 years um, than were post-World War II. And we're also seeing the encroachment of religion. This has been through the eons, but organized religion, I think, has taken a whole new turn with the Trump era into American politics, which is pretty scary when you couple two different power dynamic situations into something that affects an entire population. I enjoyed when you described when I got out, dropped into that feed, It was a very similar feeling when I grasped onto the name for this podcast, Free Your Inner Guru. And it feels like for some of the same reasons, because I got out is empowering. It's an action. It's an affirmation. And it's a reality check that says, oh, I was part of something. Now I'm out. And the other part of it, Laura, is that if you're talking to somebody who left a high control situation, 
their story is going to start with, I got out of whatever. It's an open-ended unifier and a victory cry, really, because the process of leaving, I was in a high control group for 30 years from the time I was 19 until I was 50, my whole adult life. It's pretty much all I really knew. And the only thing that was my life. I had really nothing outside. I had severed relationships with my family. I had cut off all the friends that I ever had. It was all encompassing. So when somebody is in a situation like that, to actually leave, it's a big deal. When Trump came into power, and and this is not necessarily a political commentary, what I'm going to say right now, although very openly, I lean very left. But when Trump came into power, it was around the time, or no, the podcast started just a handful of months after he came to power. And in some of the early episodes, I talk about the need for conscious leadership. Leadership is what I was focused on. I wasn't focused on at that time, the experience of having the travesty of being abused by a a leader like that. But so that's a huge shift in the last year or so. But that's when it started for me when I was seeing, oh, my experience with James Arthur Ray, and in more particular, the intense time in the Sedona Sweat Lodge, is like a two-hour microcosm, everything that can go wrong, did go wrong. And I started to see patterns that I hadn't addressed before. And so that was percolating for years. But then when the pandemic happened, and Lisa, you mentioned your daughter and you having very polarized, I don't know how dramatic it was, but came coming down on opposite ends of the spectrum around the pandemic. This is when I finally started putting it all together because I was like, oh my gosh, this is cult. They might not all be going to live off on a commune together, but the patterns of thinking, the manipulation, and especially when I started connecting with people who are having some of the same concerns, seeing the overt misinformation. Mm -hmm. So there's the leaders. There's the, so I guess that's a long-winded intro into the dynamics that we are seeing right now and how that has impacted your approach with I Got Out or even your own understanding of society or yourself within the society. So what I want to address and what you just said is that whenever there are only two sides Republican, Democrat, insider, outsider, Pepsi, Coke, Ford, Chevrolet, whatever. You're only directed towards two products. That is a way for whoever's presenting those two things to control you. There is a whole spectrum of ways you can feel about something. And when my daughter first started showing me some of her 
misinformation that she was getting off of Facebook and it was being very polarized and just like you said, culty, the culty aspect of it is only seeing two sides being in the cult that I was in. There's only us evolved beings that know the way that we that were on this path and it's really helpful and we're doing all these good things and it was very insular. And then there's the people outside. In this last year of processing people's stories and putting them out there into the world through our platform again and again, this is what people experience in their high control relationship group, ideology, religion, organization. It's the, the black and white, this or that, um, thinking is the problem. Mm -hmm. And what I've enjoyed about your conversations is the exploration of all these different ideas that it's not just one thing. It's not just, there's not two choices. You're not, you're in or you're out. I think that one, <laughs> there is like a pop and either yeah. you're in the womb or you're out in the world. But, but that's, that's a journey. Like that's, there's movement and motion there. That's a journey. That's not a, sure. it's, it's always a choice, but it's not a, oh, I'm uh, contradicting myself. It's not a dichotomy where you're being asked either, or it's representative of your journey. Can I be gracious for a second and say thank you for that? Because A, it's it's lovely to hear, just it is. And also it reminds me that right out of the gate 12 years ago, when we were pushed out into the media and treated the way that we were, yes, it was very easy to characterize us in that way because of the optics and what happened and after the fact. But I always struggled with the for James against James for the families of the deceased um, never against. But I always also struggled with the fact that it was all the focus was on the deceased and on James and somewhere in the middle, there were 50 people who, who were neither and there was no there was no space for that mm. it it didn't exist it only continued the unhealthy relationship except this time the relationship was with the the world in a sense like with anyone who was interested in the story and i was always saying there's more to it than that not to negate because how do you negate the pain of loss of a loved one? You can't. And not to justify, because there is absolutely zero justification. But in between, there's a whole spectrum of nuance and stories that were overlooked, which is why I'm so excited that other survivors, you know, my experience always was and we can come back to this or push it off after, but we mentioned it earlier. Whenever I would watch a documentary on, on cults, whether it be, I can think of Holy Hell, which was released around the same time as Enlighten Us. They went to Sundance. We went to Tribeca. That was one of the first ones. And that is very clearly a stereotypical cult. They were off living a commune life. 
and all aspects, including sexual abuse, were there. It's a truly horrifying story. I'm a highly empathetic person, so I always have empathy for the people who are hurt and wounded. But my resonance with watching and hearing them speak and hearing them talk about their experience, it was more than empathy. I was having the same experience, even though I was refuting the label of cult. The group that I was a part of was very different from what Lisa was in, which was more that insular, lived-in experience, similar more to the holy hell. And I call what I got out of an everyday cult. That's the term that describes my experience. And that comes from the realization that what I experienced in my kind of New agey, psychological, self-help, group of seekers. We would get together for classes and retreats, but we all lived our separate lives. But when I got out and started studying cult dynamics, I was stunned by the fact that it's, it's exactly the same. The dynamics that took place, that I witnessed, that I endured, the techniques of control that were used to usurp my autonomy, my sense of self, were exactly the same techniques that were used by Jim Jones, who ultimately led over 900 people to commit suicide in the jungle of Guyana. It's really about the dynamics. And we've identified and really just talked about one, the black and white thinking, the either or, the in or out. My ex-teacher, at the end of every individual session with him, would look at me and say, are you with me or you get me? And of course, I'd say, hey, I'm with you, Doug. I'm yours, like I'm with you. So that in or out, the polarization is one of a whole smorgasbord of strategies and techniques that actually lead to the, the usurp, the annihilation of one's, I shouldn't use the word annihil annihilation, sorry. I, I'm surprised that word came out of my mouth actually, because it's not an annihilation. It might feel like that. It can feel like when we are picking ourselves back up from the experience that you went through, Laura, in that sweat lodge, I, my, my heart just breaks for you and every one of the 50 people who walked out of there. It is like I, in, in my work in cult education and recovery now, that's where my heart goes is to your lived experience. Because that's where, that's the, the pressure. I, I actually use the, the term, the pressure pot. One of the techniques is to create what I call the pressure pot. And there you were, like literally, like the subtlety of what took place and the overtness as well. And the giving over of you're sitting there and being guided from pe people who you've deemed to know more than you in that situation mm -hmm. when everything was screaming, this is wrong. I got to get it out of this 
enclosed space. And I just, I've done the fire walk too. And the idea that if I just release to God or the higher power, I'll get through this, it'll be transformative. When you relinquish that much control to somebody or an event or something like that, that's a really tough thing to recover from. And for you to, one of the things that I took a note of when you were talking last was the difference between surviving a, like a, a really intense trauma event like you did. And then what it's like to experience the drip drip of an, a usurp of your own autonomy like Jarette did. Mm-hmm. Mine was a combination of both. But I think what The conversations that you've been having and the things that you've been talking about is really about reclaiming your own critical thinking and saying, you know what, I think I know what's good for me and I can do that. I don't need to be told. So I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Oh, no, gosh, no. This is a conversation that's meant to be this way. Earlier, I was thinking about maybe before I come back to it. One of the things that this is an evolving perspective, because I was thinking about things differently for so long, but within that two, two and a half hour space that the sweat lodge, air quoted sweat lodge ran in was really, there was a drip that led up to it in the name of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not sure I can characterize everything that came after as a drip, but it was it was never over because of the investigation the trial the documentaries for me anyhow it went on and on i think the experience itself that continued on and on that was driven by the sweat lodge perpetuated it in the way that we were treated by the people investigating the crime by the way that i was treated going into the courtroom, by the way that the media, like I am eking out ever so slowly a book and I can draw parallels to what's been happening both politically and societally to the endurance aspect of the experience. And that's what was flipping a few lights on for me in the early stages of the pandemic. I've done this before. What is this? What is happening? Because it feels exactly the same. And it is. Global. Everyone. The whole planet. Not only global, one way of that I am more recently coming to understand the bigger context of this is the recognition that these power over dynamics are a manifestation of centuries of patriarchy. And I am not male bashing here. I want to be really clear. We need male energy. We need male insight. We need male capacity in order to survive as a species. But for so many centuries now, the feminine has been repressed. And it's not just What happened in the 70s with the burn your bras liberation, that was a tiny blip. The Me Too movement was another blip. 
But if we look the long arc of history and the role that women have been unable to play in the forward evolution of our species, no wonder we are where we are. And for me, that's what fuels me in my everyday work is so much to bring balance back to the human experience. Because when our humanity is imbalanced, when you, when I was feeling this, Laura, when you were talking about what you endured after you got out of the sweat lodge and the way that you were interviewed and the way that the press interacted with you, that the court system interacted with you, I I can feel this huge amount of compassion because that is also what I, you know, experienced in my 18 years. I also experienced smaller versions of it throughout my entire life. I think that's what is driving me now is this sense of injustice. And for me, it's not just about me, it's about me and my peers in the context of James Arthur Ray recently when there was a line in Nine Perfect Strangers that was disrespectful to us. And that instead of it causing me to be curled up in a ball in a corner, like it would have eight, 10 years ago, I was able to write and then to podcast about it. And nobody's asking me to take this role. I know the role, I know people are appreciating it. And what's happening is other survivors, when they're seeing what I'm producing, are saying to me, I see now how your experience was different than mine because no one knew I was there. And Mm. I was not, I just want to be totally accurate. I did not go into the press immediately, but we were in the press. I stayed away because I knew I I had lawyers um, from both sides calling me all the time. I knew I was going into the trial and did not want to do anything that would compromise that or, or make me less credible. But now this is not just about me and my peers. And for a long time, it's really not been about James Ray. It's been about how these dynamics are playing out in society. And it is not sustainable on any level. And somehow, all of a sudden, after in the new age world, hearing that, oh, there's this time coming and we are the ones who are here for these special purposes. And suddenly, yeah, here you go. Here's the situation. Here's your pandemic. Here's your financial crisis. Here's Black Lives Matter. Here's all of it served up to you. What the hell are you going to do about it? And it seems to be gathering steam through cult awareness because everyone's trying to indoctrinate everybody. So I want to jump back to something that Jarette said and touch back into the black and white thinking when Jarette was talking about male energy, female energy, one of the things that we're seeing that I'm seeing as I'm processing and putting people's stories out there is that the Abrahamic religions in particular have that patriarchal lean to them, holding women in their place and having a male dominant society. It's like a a thing that's happening 
around the world as we reckon with the either or, the black or white. And I think you bring in too, and the the confluence of racism and anti-racism mm-hmm. and the, the political spectrum of left and right or Democrat, Republican. There was something earlier that I wanted to come back to there, but I'm also mindful that I, there's certain things I want to get into this episode about I got out as well. I started listening to a podcast this morning that Shulami Burleftoff sent me. Mm-hmm. And it's called Your Body, Your Brand. And it's talking about the brandification of the female identifying wellness business and influencer. So I'm just starting to listen to that as some pretty, looks like it's going to be some pretty decent research into the next thing that I collided with post-sweat lodge and my desire to help people or make a difference, which is never extinguished for better or worse, entering into the coaching world, which perpetuated a lot of the unhealthy dynamics. This is what I'm working to expose now and next is the toxicity and the cult dynamics in the self-help industry, not just related to my experience, but related to every business model and and every uh, potentially every community-driven or charisma-driven community. I loved your question in one of your episodes, is self-help a cult? You asked yeah. that, I think, to, to Yanya or someone. Yeah. And I've got some ideas around doing some higher education to validate that inquiry. But I am really looking at, is it a multi-leadered cult? Not that it's necessarily consciously organized as one, but as the participant, as the consumer are en masse, is it based on cult dynamics? And I think there's a strong argument for yes. Having lived the cautionary tale, it's now easier for me to see. But I think it's a valid question that a lot of people should be asking. Yeah. Whenever we're in a situation where someone knows what's better for you, than you do. That dynamic is integrated into the very fabric of the self-help movement. I, I had this experience when I was writing my book. I met with a, a book coach and we're talking about what kind of book will it be? And, and she came to the conclusion, Jurette, you're writing a self-help book. And it was like a knife went through me. It's like, no, 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 please. Like I, I was, oh, and yet here I am in my work as an educator. I have clients. I teach classes. I make money off of people who have experienced cultic abuse. And I have really big questions about the ethics of that. And that's a conversation I would love to explore in a really transparent way, because we do know that one of the the mechanisms that allows cult dynamics to continue to perpetuate is lack of transparency. So Mm -hmm. whenever we are in a position of leadership, 
We need leaders in the world. Each one of us, each of the three of us, in our own lane, we are leaders. And so what is it that constitutes ethical leadership? Like I teach courses for people in yoga teacher trainings on cult dynamics. The first part of it is all about what's the cult and the power dynamics and looking at all the many manifestations. And the second half of it is what is it to be an ethical leader? And this is a conversation that we as a society need to keep having. It's a, it's a question that educators, we need to be bringing it into our high schools and our universities. Like, how do we recognize when leadership is actually honoring of the individual who is receiving the teaching? And when is it actually disempowerment? When is it manipulation? Yeah. And it's also, this will point to an upcoming episode that I have with that I'm having these ideas of bringing panels together to, to discuss this and to be able to facilitate that would be so exciting because all these conversations are, they're intertwined in their own way. And I suggested just yesterday talking to Shulamit for her part two, that something that she rebutted as far as my suggestion was that the route to change was perhaps not leave the system, right? What could corp just as a superficial example, what could corporate life look like if instead of everyone leaving it to start their own wellness influencer brand, that people stayed in the corporate life and changed there. And, and we got into a big discussion about, but it's the system, right? So the system and the structure is unhealthy and toxic and abusive. So changing it from within is near impossible. So that was the discussion that, that we were having. And all of this, that in, in this conversation, everything that we've talked about in these dynamics, they apply in the individual, they apply in one-to-one -one relationships, one-to-many relationships like our families and friends, and then organization and culture. It all applies. What I'm hoping that people will become more aware of and more empowered is in recognizing that within the cults and the high control groups, that's not the only place that these egregious dynamics are being perpetrated. That's the point. That's the point, exactly. <laughs> That's what I wake up for every day, is to bring that. It, it, it's actually learning about opening our eyes, opening our hearts, opening our minds to be able to witness, to, to see a spade as a spade. Part of what I think is happening in the experience of when we get out, if we find support that is true support, truly supportive, we can have the experience of remembering who we are, what it is to be human. Because there are so many aspects of life today, and obviously in cultic groups, that is subtly dehumanizing, that is subtly taking away that which is most important 
to being a human. So when I talked about like that imbalance of the male and female, when we have the opportunity to come out, we get to we get to remember like we never I'm a believer in that there is a lived no matter how terrible and how abused someone is, I really believe that we all have something inside of us that cannot be that that can't be abused that that is it's, I'm stumbling right now because I'm actually realizing what I'm saying is one of the one of the things I learned in the cult that I was in and that's part of the point is that even in a terrible cult there are positive things and that part of what we get to do when we leave a bad environment is to reclaim that which did serve us that which was helpful and for me it is helpful i i agree i believe that there is a part of us that can't be contaminated no matter what we've endured there's a, a kernel of spark of my individuality that's you know jurette there's laura's spark and we get to when we and this is where it dovetails with i got out when we are able to share our story and just say what we experienced we're reclaiming our authenticity we're claiming that part of self that actually the world needs the most that which makes us the most human the most relatable we're a, we're biologically we are a social species we need each other we can't do the solo thing it doesn't work I would like to acknowledge that um, the experience of reclaiming, remembering is specific to someone who entered a cult as an adult. I was 19 when I got in, but I was able to recapture some of the elements of who Lisa was before I got into a group and with people like my daughter or other people that were born in or raised in that's a different journey because they don't have the pieces of themselves that existed before the indoctrination and so for them the remembering is or i i had a visual of as you're in this high control environment you're cutting off your limbs your arms your feet and remembering your body bringing things back together so that you can move into the world into a new life that is i i just feel like i need to honor those people that have a really different experience of claiming their humanity in their own way it is a huge thing yeah in a different journey different journey um, entirely. I want to for anyone who's listening, I want to point towards I think Yanya has a book that's either just out or coming out. Dr. Yanya Lalich mm -hmm. and a, a focus on the children who were born into to cults escaping uh, utopia. Thank you. Knowing that you're each coming back for another conversation is very reassuring to me right now because it feels like there's so much. And I picked up an opportunity in what Jurette says to 
to start to bring us to hopefully an elegant close. When you were talking about that kernel of you that's in there, my mind was going to, is that the spirit? Is that the identity? And I want to offer that the thing that I thought of is that's the part of me that that feels the dissonance. It's the part of me that wants to speak up. It's the part of me that in my particularly intense experience, knew something was wrong and tried to get help and attention. And it's the part of me to this day that feels the dissonance of when I go into a room in the self-help world and there's something off. I might not know what it is and be able to make an argument for it, but I know it's off. So I exit. Yeah. There's another part of this kernel of us. And I think it really points at part of when I gathered information from you prior to this conversation, I asked guests, what's your thing? What's the thing you want to talk about that often gets left out or, or that the conversation doesn't get to. And you each had very individual answers. And I think they point towards this kernel within us. And Lisa, yours was, you want to talk about the role of creativity in recovery. And Jurette, yours was, I want to talk about an authentic desire to have healthy spirituality in my life despite of my experience. So I'd like to have the space to give you each a chance to speak to those, knowing we'll come back to them in greater detail. But Lisa, please, I, I that's been certainly been my experience around creativity. Please bring that into the room. Thank you, Laura. So one thing that I realized, part of my awakening and journey out of my group was a reach for a creative project that I was planning with my husband and knowing that I couldn't create this thing and still be in the group. It wouldn't be possible. It would be taken over by the leader. It would no longer be mine. The way that the group was, is it always, you feed the creativity of the leader. And my own creative expression was captured by his projects. So I I couldn't have my own. I had to sneak to have my own creativity on the side. Mm -hmm. And when you have a power dynamic like that, where, you know, and I, I learned this specifically so much with the ex Moonies, one woman, Jen Kiaba, who's done some beautiful, beautiful work exploring this area. I highly recommend people having a look at her podcast, Lessons on Leaving. When I listened to that, it hit me to the core. But when you take a creative impulse, that's your authentic self expressing out into the world. Those are that's your vision, your life force, and you're able to do something that no matter what it is, if it's written, if it's painting, I mean, there's all kinds of ways of creativity, creative expression, the conversation that we're having right now, how you clean your house is a creative expression. But when you claim that 
for yourself and you do it. If I clean my, I was the cleaner of the house for the cult that I was in. And it wasn't my creative expression. It was my slavery to the leader. But now I, I keep my house because it's an expression of who I am and how I want to live. I think my point is that those pipes, my speaking pipe is rusty. When I was a kid, I talked to everyone all the time, no matter who they were and what they were adult kids. I was just verbose. And the 30 years of living under in a high control situation, that voice is atrophy. It doesn't come out right. It's awkward. And that's fucking okay. That's okay. You, you can still, I just want to encourage anybody listening that it doesn't matter if it's rusty when it comes out, it's you, whatever you want to put out into the world. And the more you do it, the easier it gets and you're contributing. Your mm -hmm. humanity matters and it's there. With that, Ooh. I would like to invite, <laughs> we have a project going on right now that if you're putting this podcast out right away and people have an opportunity to consider doing this, we've been posting about it on our social media. But a, a lot of times when you're first expressing what happened to you, it's really hard. You don't necessarily it, the words are there and that's one of the things that I loved about one of Jen's podcasts is she talks about the words not coming and that you can express through visual art that's her jam but right now we're running a campaign where you can start to tell your story just by holding a sign with the hashtag I got out Show your face if you want to, cover your face if you want to, but you can be seen with this expression, with this hashtag. It's a start of claiming your story. So I want to encourage people to have a look at that. On our Instagram, there is a Google form in the link tree on the bio. The deadline right now is September 27th, but I might push it out a little bit, <laughs> depending on how things go. Um, super excited about a collaboration that we're doing with this project with another person who supports the movement. She's going to, if people give their permissions, allow their images to be used for a music video promo, where there'll be rapid cuts of people holding the sign. This is a vision I've had for a while. So it's both of our project together, but check it out. And I'll let Jarette talk. And then I yeah. have a PSA that I wrote that I'd love to read when we come back. Perfect. Jarette, my question for you was, was something that I am grappling with myself. So, and, and it is very much, how do you reconcile that healthy spirituality. And I was delighted to read that you're exploring that idea and, and that it's important to you. So I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Laura. This question of how we move forward 
in our wholeness, in our healing process, after having experienced spiritual abuse. My experience is that the spirit of a person or that individual spark, and for me, it's very much exactly what Lisa was saying, the spark of creativity. In my mind and heart, they're, they're all the same. We have many different languages. Different people have different ways of being comfortable with different words. But for me, I was always a spiritual seeker. And that's what brought me into the group. That's what brought me into a teaching career that was based in spirituality. I was a Waldorf teacher for 19 years, and then I was in this group for 18 years. And that's just a core part of who I am. So when I got out and started really diving into what I went through, learning about this, these abuses, I became, there's two layers, to, or many layers to this, but one is I had to protect myself from being sucked into another group. Because cult hopping, we call it cult hopping in the field of cult recovery, it's very common that we can go from one destructive group to another that's just a different flavor that looks really different, but it just has different external trappings, but the dynamics can be very similar. So in order to protect myself from that, and as I was developing my capacity for discernment, not, I wouldn't say developing, I'm bringing it back online. I think that's part of discernment is a natural instinct that we have as human beings that I think gets trained out of us because of the imbalanced society that we live in. But I also met a really interesting other phenomenon as I was exploring my sense of spirituality, and that is kind of the, the judgment in the world of cult recovery, that if you are involved in something that is spiritual or woo-woo, you can be judged for it. I do Reiki. I'm a Reiki teacher. I'm a practitioner. It's something that I developed in myself right after leaving the group. And it was a huge part of my integration of my experience. And in Reiki, the most important part of it is the self-practice. So the putting my own hands on my own head, my own hands on my own body as a way to integrate my nervous system, my emotions, the traumas that I experienced. In the group that I was in, I experienced trauma to my neck. I can't tell you hours and hours um, that I spent doing and still do offering Reiki to my throat because I was really abused in creative expression, but also physically on my throat. So I experienced when I started coming out as a cult educator, I really experienced some harsh judgment and pushback from people who are really deeply respected in the field. So for me to be, to even say that I have a longing, it's, oh, she's not credible. Like it's kind of, it can really be a blow, a, cat, a judgment against me, a nail in my coffin. 
So I, I just want to say that it is edgy to bring this conversation that is really a very deeply personal conversation mm-hmm. out into the public arena. And I really thought about it. Your invitation for the podcast was to share that which that which is on some level most important to you, but doesn't get talked about. Mm. So I really appreciate that. And I will say it's really vulnerable and to, to bring it out into the public. And I personally believe that it's actually really connected to the creative spark. How I find my way in my own sense of self in the world today might be taboo to somebody else, but that doesn't matter because I now get to own my experience. I am in the center of my own life in a way that I I couldn't be, I wasn't for 18 years. Yeah. And I think part of the work too is to realize it's the first time that I'm hearing something like this and being, oh, I can always edit this out if it comes out wrong. Isn't that a little bit culty to judge someone else for whether or not they want to explore what healthy spirituality look like for them? Bingo. Bingo. And that's something when we're, when we are criticizing or judging people, that's is something that we need to keep in check. That is actually one of the red flags. Like when I'm working with someone to, to educate them about how they can avoid being back sucked back into a cult, really try to notice if you're being criticized in any way, it can be subtle. Notice the body language, notice the words, notice the questioning, take note of criticism. Well, and I think the one of the main themes that evolved in this conversation is recognizing our humanity and spirituality is a part of our humanity. And my, my approach has always been to prefer an integrative approach where instead of denying that part of ourselves, even though this could go off into another, we'll pick this up in your individual conversation, Jarette. But I think when we deny the true aspects of ourselves, whether it be our creative self-expression, an inquiry into spirituality, our sexuality, how we want to express as gender, anytime we deny that true part of ourselves, that's part of what creates that vulnerability because along comes somebody highly charismatic who (laughs) says, I see that in you. (laughs) I see that wants to come out. Let me help you. Exactly. And they have an to my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So so this is actually how how beautiful to end on a laugh because part of the recovery process is learning how to laugh again. Jarette, what could somebody who wants to engage with I got out expect above and beyond the hashtag? and feeling a sense of online community. It is breathtaking, Laura. Some of the interactions and the relationships that I have witnessed through this online community are stunningly beautiful, life-affirming to a degree that I could have never imagined possible. 
I do believe some of this is also connected to the pandemic, that, that we have grown in our capacity to be able to stay in the essence of who we are, stay in ourselves while interacting with people who are many miles away. The sharing of one's story opens a door to relationship in a way that I have to say it almost like it makes me cry to think about it, to, to think about the ways that what, like what I have witnessed when someone has shared something that they wrote in a 20-minute period in the hour and a half long class that I facilitate that's a pre-class aimed to support people to write an I got out statement. People can write on their own. They don't need to come to the class, but if they want support, they can come to this free class. In this hour and a half that I have with people, the level of depth and relationship that I have witnessed again and again, I said this earlier, it's what I get up for every day. Mm -hmm. It's, it is just, it breaks, it breaks my heart and it also affirms the, the path of humanity that we are on. When people can see each other, can hear each other's story and say, oh, like that touched me so deeply and reflect to someone the beauty that they witnessed in their words. And, and that's what makes, you know, I'm thinking about how we started the conversation. I think that one of us, it may have been me, gave voice to this unique feeling of isolation that comes from actually being in a situation where you're surrounded by people who don't understand and don't get it. And that's not a judgment of them. How could they understand? How could they get it? They can have empathy, but being able, and this has certainly been my experience via some of the workshops that I've taken, another gift of the pandemic was what came, the steps that got me into one of those workshops to say, I need to investigate this and explore. And I can speak to the power of hearing people being able to speak willingly, if not easily, about their situation. And, and it was for the purpose of learning and, and healing. So I can only imagine, because I'm in a writing group, and when you hear people's regular stories. It's such a beautiful thing. I can only imagine. And, and I think you can probably look forward to seeing me on one of those calls sometime soon to write my statement. It will be <laughs> such an honor. Wonderful. Yeah. And just as a final wrap up, I know you, you have a, a PSA that you want to read, Lisa. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that. There was one thing that you have said in some of your prior episodes, and it's about this conversation that we're just having right now. And it is about having conversations with each other. There is no hierarchy and know-it-all explaining what things are. And that's at the heart of hashtag I got out. When I got out, I couldn't find a good resource. And this effort was to create the resource that I would have resonated with. So my PSA. If you have been in any culty high control group or religion, share your story with hashtag I got out. If you need to be anonymous, you can find support at igotout.org. 
at the website and on our social media. When you see a survivor sharing their story, it's really important to let them know that they've been heard. This is such a meaningful part of the movement and we all need to know that we're not alone. If you know someone who has been harmed by a high demand group, share hashtag I got out posts and stories that you think would help them. Together, we can bring awareness to how many of us have been harmed by high control organizations and bring an end to the shame or stigma that we feel about our experiences. Tell your story, impact lives and change the world, one person at a time. Find out more at igotout.org. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for going with the flow when we had some technical difficulty earlier. And thank you for a great conversation. I'm so pleased that we have connected and look forward to where this movement is going. So excited. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Laura. It's such a delight to dialogue with you around these really important conversations.